Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be chatting about prize checking in the Pokemon TCG, what the rule book says, what the community thinks. It's definitely been a hot button topic this week. We'll talk about the Perth Regional Championships, which took place this past weekend in Australia. Chat about those results. Some very interesting Lost Box decks to come out, which we'll be talking about. We'll, of course, have Guess That Flavor Text. And then we'll be looking ahead to the Vancouver and Natal Regional Championships, which are taking place this weekend. One in Canada, one in Brazil. My name is Chip Ritchie, and I'm joined here, as always, by my friend and co-host, Azul GG. What's up, Azul? How are we doing, buddy? Doing good, Chip. Doing good. This is our 50th episode. Um, we had a half episode in there at some point, and we've been doing this for about one year now. Or is it like a, this is like the exact? I don't know if we're on the exact week, but it's about one year now. A little over one year, I think, since we started the podcast. I think this is one year, man. This would be 52 weeks, right? Because we had one week where we had the half episode and then one week that we missed when my kid was born. So this is 52 weeks. This is a year. <laughs> we ever miss an episode? I feel like we did it. We missed one. The, the week that, that my son was born, we missed. Okay. That was the one we missed. I know. I'm, yeah. I'm dropping the ball, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so almost 52 weeks in a row. Um. 50 50.5 um we're pretty <laughs> yeah, close. yeah um but yeah excited for you know 52 more episodes coming up another year um hopefully just do it uh bigger and better uh this next year around i'm excited for it um besides that uh my week i finally like i say that i said this a lot i haven't said it a lot recently but i've been traveling so much recently i have not streamed in like a long time or made like videos fake streamer uh, I, did, I did some of that this week so made some videos uh did some streaming and hopefully going to be a little bit more regular like that the next couple of months because there's not as the, the travel to Australia really like it's just it takes a long time to get there and get back. So that's like would really you say that a... you're uh, would you say that you're getting into the swing of things? <laughs> uh, a little bit, a little bit, not fully okay, there. Okay. Um, I'm also going to Vancouver a little bit early because um, me and Lorelai are driving up. So we're stopping off for like a day in Portland um, and then going the rest of the way the next day. So I'm um, driving up to Vancouver a little bit earlier than normally like fly in Friday. We're driving up on uh wednesday or tuesday we haven't decided quite yet so i gotta figure that out but yeah vancouver weekend or vancouver this weekend playing in it uh i usually say i'm I'm excited to compete i'm not excited about playing the format though i guess um but thankfully i mean lucky for you chip you don't have that problem (laughs) you're gonna be (laughs) casting but how is your week and are you looking forward to have you been to vancouver before i have not been to vancouver and i'm pumped i've heard the city is absolutely beautiful i've seen pictures of it i'm i'm definitely really really excited um yeah i missed it last year i wasn't scheduled to do it last year um but it was also the same weekend as one of the full grip games tournaments that i was casting uh at the time and so like i had i didn't get asked to do that one for pokemon andrew asked me to cast the full grip tournament so i went and did that but then like the week before the tournament one of the other casters got sick and couldn't do it and so the production company emailed me and was like hey can you do the tournament this week and i had to be like no sorry i've already got this like scheduled i couldn't back out on andrew (laughs) and um so i almost went last year but i didn't i've never been really excited i've heard it's an awesome city uh and yeah i'm casting i'm looking forward to it i'm actually going to be casting with puka which i'm super looking forward to Puka's, of course, one of the OGs, one of the greats of the Pokemon TCG scene and um, one of the like founding fathers of Pokemon TCG streaming and event coverage and broadcasting. So, yeah, I'm super pumped. We we got the cast together during the Players' Cup 25th anniversary tournament 
um, which was awesome. was a blast. And yeah, I'm looking forward to running it back with him again this weekend for Vancouver. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and get into the episode Azul. And we'll start off by talking about some news from TPCI. We did just want to talk about this because it is news. We cover the news, right? <laughs> In regards to play Pokemon and everything going on. Uh, but TPCI, the Pokemon Company International, has dropped its universal mask requirement for premier events. They still reserve the right to implement a mask requirement for any event on short notice. This was updated in the Pokemon Play Pokemon COVID-19 protocols this week. A bunch of people were talking about it on Twitter and updated it. So we just wanted to mention that here as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, make sure you bring it. Make sure you still bring a masters in case they hit you with the mid round <laughs> mask check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You're not> gonna... <laughs> um, yeah. You know, like in school you had fire drills. Maybe now we'll have mask drills. <laughs> keeping everyone on their toes yeah right right yeah <laughs> um but yeah one big discussion that did come up in the uh, pokemon tcg community uh this week was prize checking and i think the bigger thing uh more so less about it's less about checking your prize card just more so about how much time should be allotted for checking your prize cards and we have a couple different tweets we're gonna take a look at a couple different things to i guess talk about around that discussion so what are we looking at first chip yeah, I think one of the first things I saw of this this week was from Isaiah Cheville, who posted a twit longer, said, can we save time with prize checking? Uh, Isaiah got top 16 this past weekend, or two weekends ago, I guess now, in Knoxville. And he posted this twit longer. He says, TLDR, let us agree with our opponents to look at our prize cards during our first search. He said, a lot of discussion online lately about the time slash ties got me thinking about what is the best way to reduce the frequency of these, or to put it better, make it more likely that the cards themselves decide the outcome of a match rather than an arbitrary time constraint. As such, I started thinking about some of the most significant consumers of time, and that is prize checking. At this point, especially at high level play, high levels of play, prize checking is essentially a given aspect of the game, and it can take quite a large amount of time. Between both players across as many as three games, prize checking is reasonably taking at least five minutes, often more. I would say probably three minutes. If both players are very thoroughly prize checking across three games, it probably is more than five minutes. Yeah. As a result, one has to wonder, why can't we consider the idea of making agreements with our opponents to just view their prize cards upon doing their first deck search, shuffling their prize cards like they would a Hisuian Heavy Ball, and then continuing mm -hmm. on with the game? Realistically, this saves several minutes per set, and as said previously, makes it more likely for a set to be decided by way of the cards are played, which is the part that matters the most. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do agree <clears throat> to an extent um, for sure that we want to play as much Pokemon as possible. I think that it'll always be impossible in Pokemon. I mean, some decks are literally trying to only win one game like control decks, which I don't think like that should be taken away from control decks um, or even stuff like Lost Box. Like if you play a Lost Box Mirror, like game three is almost never going to fish in. Like you got a 2-0 or you got a scoop really early in one of the games. So yeah, regardless um, of the amount of time spent prize checking. Yeah, and I think that's like something that's always going to come up <clears throat> pretty much all the time. Uh, and at first, initially, when I saw this tweet from Isaiah, I retweeted it and I, I was like, I'm down. Um, but then the more that the, <laughs> the discussion of the more that the discussion of prize checking came out um, and pretty much how much people were self-reporting about how little they prize check or how irrelevant they think it is for the most part. 
I would only actually do this agreement with like a couple people um overall people who i know were like previously diligent about checking their prize cards so initially i was just like the idea of it i was like okay i'm down me and my opponent every round will just agree to look at our prize cards but the more people that kind of came out especially players who you know are definitely in the the above average category to you know close to top players um the the more and more of them that kind of came forward and had made opinions on uh, or had an opinion on prize checking and uh talked about what they do um or what they think should be like what you should only do the more I'm like, eh, I'm definitely not doing this with everyone because <laughs> I think there is quite an advantage to be gained by going to because a lot of people just don't go out of the way to price check in general or do it very little. Uh, they check only a couple cards. So if I can, you know, put that extra 15 seconds to find close to all six or whatever, 30 seconds to find close to all six, as long as it's within the rules, of course. Uh, and one of my tweets this week was about basically like, you know, if the rules do change, I, I'm like fine with that. But um, as of right now, you know, I do the whole like sort my energy um, as I search through my deck to try and find all six of my prize cards on, my, on the first search of my turn. Um, but if they change the rules to being like, well, you can only take, you know, about like 15, 20 seconds on your first search, you know, it's definitely not possible to find all six consistently of your prize cards. I mean, I'd be fine with that rule change as well. But as of right now, with the way things are, I'm also going to take advantage of that and try and find all six of my prize cards. Um, and I guess specifically, because I've been playing so much Lost Box recently, it's definitely a little bit more important to know all of your prize cards playing Lost Box than like any other deck in the format. So, um, Definitely has been like a little bit bigger of a deal for that. And definitely like when I compare it to playing like Arceus and Mew last season, it definitely isn't quite the same. Oh, yeah. I think Lost Box is a big reason why this discussion is coming up because it is so vitally important to know if off of flower selecting, it is okay for you to lost zone a basic energy like specifically, right? Yeah. Um, especially for these decks. Like if you're only playing, if you're playing Sableye and you play two psychic energy, right? And you um flower selecting and see a psychic energy you cannot lost zone that energy if your other one is prized most of the time right of course every situation is unique sometimes it'll come up that it has to be the correct decision depending on what the other card is and depending on the situation the matchup yada 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 but like (laughs) that is lost box specifically i think is why this has become such a big discussion um and you mentioned it uh about being a skill that was definitely a big part of the conversation this week is like is this even really something that should be considered a skill? I'm going to pull up this one from Isaiah. This was from uh, Dream Jew on Twitter tweeted, can someone please explain to me how prize checking is a skill? Isaiah said, I have won plenty of games because my opponent didn't check their prizes. Just because everyone has the technical ability to do it doesn't mean they actually do it. If it gives me an edge in a game, then I think it's reasonable to call it a skill. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. I mean, if you just think about, like, anything that is, like, anyone can, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example in my head. Like, the one that just popped in my head immediately was, like, anyone could, like, learn how to, you know, like, computer code, right? But, like, doing it is still, like, a skill. And I'm sure that's a little bit harder than checking your prize cards as far as, like, it's developing a skill goes. But, like, you still have to apply. You know, if you're someone who goes out of your way to make sure you're super time efficient with checking your prize cards. And I think there's a little bit more of a nuance to it than people realize. There's also times when you have to know it's not worth it to check your prize cards as well. Like oh, going yeah, to a game sure. three, mm-hmm. like that's a big, like a, the big thing, like uh, managing your time in a best two out of three is like a huge deal to make sure you can, you know, like play three games, knowing when to concede a game, knowing when it's not worth it to check your prize cards or even like, and <clears throat> um, I had someone reply to one of my tweets comparing it's like, it's like, they were like, okay, why do some people, you know, not, you know, thoroughly check their prize cards going into game three. I'm like, that's the same thing as not taking the extra five seconds to think about what to quick ball away and just slamming quick ball and slamming a card, right? It's literally the exact same thing. It's like being less a, less 
playing less optimally to be more time efficient, right? And they could take those extra five seconds to think a little bit more about what they want to quick ball away. And that's not against the rules. And as of right now, it technically, there technically isn't a rule that allows you to take that extra time to check for your prize cards on your search. But uh, there's kind of been like, a, what do you even call it? Like just like a it's general. It's like an unwritten rule. Yeah, like, like an a, unwritten rule that an exists. An understanding. <laughs> yeah, an understanding that like you can take a little bit extra time on your first search to, you know, figure out what some of your prize cards are. And one of my tweets out was like basically – as of right now, I'm trying to find all six surprise cards on my first search. But I think it's reasonable to ask the question is like, are people on average taking too much time to find some or all of their prize cards? And should that kind of be reeled back in? And I think that's like a reasonable question. I, I think it would be reasonable like if, if there's something, a ruling comes out around prize checking on the first search of the first turn or first search, first first turn, first search rule. Or I shouldn't be first turn, first search rule. It should be first search rule. Um, if something came out and it kind of you know, made it close to impossible to find all six prize cards when you do your first search. I think that would be fine um, as long as you have a decent amount of time to maybe find a couple, especially like important ones for like the matchup and the scenario. Like you do want some, at least on that first search, I think having a little bit of time, especially for important cards for the scenario slash the matchup. But, you know, like I said, like finding all six of your prize cards specifically with Lost Box is a pretty big deal, I feel like. Yeah, you mentioned it, it really it has become kind of an understanding amongst judges and players alike that like there is a little bit of leeway granted to that first search and p players will sometimes even spend up to two minutes on their first search, it feels like, which is maybe pushing it, but it yeah. sometimes is how long it takes. I don't know. Um, but I mean, going by what the rules say, there used to be something in the rule book that said there was a little bit of extra time given to the first search, but that's actually like not in. The rule book currently i don't know if it got removed like i guess it must have gotten was it ever officially or... in the rules did you see the everyone on twitter seemed to say it was i think i saw will post talking about it um i think he linked as well like a uh old, old document old rule document yeah but i can pull it up and check but here's what the current rule book says under section 5.8.5 tempo of play the pace of a Pokemon TCG match should be lively without being excessively fast, and each player should receive approximately half of the allotted time. Pokemon Organized Play has set forth the below following, sorry, the below guidelines by which to access, uh, assess, wow, excuse me, assess <laughs> <laughs> whether a game action is completed in a reasonable time frame. Shuffling and setup, game start, two minutes. Shuffling and deck search, mid-game, 15 seconds. Performing the actions of a card or attack, 15 seconds. Considering the game position before playing a card, 10 seconds. Starting the turn after opponent's end of turn announcement, 5 seconds. These are guidelines only and should be considered within the context of normal gameplay. So these are, like, yeah, like that said at the end, these are guidelines, and it really does feel like it's become almost an unwritten rule that first search, a bit more time is granted. But, I mean, in theory, like, I wonder what would happen if at a tournament someone was playing against another person, they do their first search, they get to 15 seconds, and then the person raises their hand and calls a judge and asks <laughs> to watch for pace of play. Like they're not doing anything that's a, like they're within their right as a player, according to this rule book, to do that, right? Well, I mean, 15 seconds is a guideline. So I think that would come down. That would definitely be fall under like poor sportsmanship, like rule sharking for yeah. sure. But like if they were if, like, I think it would be reasonable. I like by the rules, like if your opponent takes 30 seconds and is still going on their first search, it seems like it wouldn't be unreasonable based on the rules to call over a judge. Um, definitely, to be honest, like right now. Or at um, least and maybe like here. Here's what I'll say in regards to this, I guess, initially, like um, 
like I've I've asked opponents to play faster before. As well yeah. as asked opponents to play faster for. I think you should always start with asking yeah, the yeah, opponent, yeah, yeah. "Can you make a? Can you make an action? Or can you play a little quicker? Something like that." Um, I usually will just say, "Like, will you please increase your pace of play?" Or can, it, like if they're just overall playing slow, or if they're taking long on one action, I'll say, "Can you please make an action?" Um, yeah. I think those are like two pretty kosher things to say to someone right and then mm -hmm. if it becomes an issue again maybe raise your hand and call a judge and just say i'd like a judge to watch our game for pace of play i think that's kind of the way to go about it what are your thoughts there as well yeah yeah like, i've always i i don't i like rarely have actually had to call over a judge on my opponent's face play. maybe like twice um but usually people are you know like people get in their own heads so no one's almost ever doing anything maliciously um so simply asking your opponent to you know pick up the pace of play you know make an action um it's just like yeah it's usually enough for your opponent to realize okay you're right and i've had that I've, like i've been in situations where i'm sitting there thinking really hard about a situation i am taking too long and then my opponent's like hey you have to make an action i'm like yep you're right uh you know and i make my action i've gotten plenty of <laughs> gotten plenty of warnings for playing too slow because i'm overthinking everything and trying to do everything you know super meticulous and making sure i'm not making uh, an error and i've gotten my fair share of uh slow play warnings sometimes escalated to or once escalated to a double prize penalty <laughs> in an unfortunate game but um finals uh, of laic for anyone yeah. who's uninformed <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is fair like i do play pretty slow sometimes but i'm always trying to make sure i'm not making any mistakes right um there's a balance to that as well like you have to play at a it's a balance to trying to play optimally versus trying to play having to play time efficiently enough within the rules and then you know wanting to play time efficiently but one thing i always kind of mentioned on the other side of that as well is like you shouldn't feel rushed to have to make your actions as well um, like even if you're going into a game three, you know, if you're aware of how much time is left and you still got like 20, 25 minutes, just because you're going into game three doesn't mean you have to slam every quick ball you see to go get your basic Pokemon. You know, you can still take that like time is a resource, right? And you want to make sure you have enough of it left to win the match. But you also want to make sure you you have whenever you have time, extra time that you can utilize, so, you know, make sure you're making the proper actions. You want to utilize that time as well. So, you know, take that extra five seconds to think about the quick ball. You're not breaking the rules. You know, take that extra five seconds. Make sure you quick ball away the right target so you don't regret it later. And you make like a game ending mistake like right there. Right. So there's like a balance to it of trying to play optimally versus trying to, trying to play time efficient to actually, you know, end up winning the uh, winning the match. Right. So I think some people like are always concerned with us trying to play as fast as possible. But like time is a resource you want to use. Like theoretically, you'd want infinite time. So you could sit there for a whole day to decide your one action. Like, all right, what am I quick balling away out of the six card hand? Take 24 hours to come up with your uh, decision to try and play it as perfectly <laughs> as possible. Theoretically, but you obviously can't take that much time. So you have to play within the rules of the time. But you still want to try and make sure you're trying to use as much time as possible so you don't mess up, right? You're trying to play perfectly. Yeah, and there's a lot of other opinions and takes from, like, top players and stuff. Ian Robb tweeted, taking a long time on the first search has become an unwritten rule, allowing people to just look for time efficiency regions that should be a part of the game. Um, we already kind of talked about our opinions on that. Andrew Mahone tweeted and said, here's the deal with prize checking. Check the pertinent information for the matchup you're facing and be quick about it. If you're not quick about it, you're probably not very good at prize checking. If you're rearranging cards, you're probably wasting time. And that's another big part of this discussion because it's something that's really kind of become popular in the last like six months or so, I think, is physically moving cards around uh, in your deck to check your prizes. So something very common that you'll see people do is move all of the Pokemon in their deck to the front of their deck so that they can see, yep. okay, here's all my Pokemon. Uh, Nick Moffat I've seen does all his Pokemon to the front, all his energy to the back. So he can check his energy cards. I think the very first time I ever saw someone do this was back in like 2017 at NAIC. I remember watching Igor playing a Decidueye deck 
moving all of his decidui pieces to the front of the deck to prize check and then shuffling after um i think that's the first time i ever really remember seeing someone do that and it's something that's come up here and there every once in a while isaiah bradner i think was one of the people who's like kind of at the front of this discussion early on uh he started doing it last year i noticed a lot um but uh, yeah i mean it's now become a thing that like a decent amount of people do moving cards around to check their prizes and i know you do it as well as a yeah i do it i think one thing people don't understand is that actually is in my experience, the most efficient way to find your six prize cards the fastest. It's not like when I go to pull my energy to the front of the deck, I'm also counting other cards, other counts of cards when I go through it. My goal is to like fully find all six prize cards. And by pulling energy to the front of the back, energy to the front of the deck, Pokemon to the back of the deck while counting other cards as I do that, and then checking energy, checking Pokemon, and then doing like two, one or two more searches through the rest of the deck after the energy and the Pokemon. I'm trying to find all six prize cards. And that method, I think, in my experience, is like consistently the um the the fat not just the not just a way to find six prize cards, but the most time efficient way to find six prize cards. Because that what that's what you're trying to do is just find six prize cards as fast as possible. So you have as much time to play Pokemon as possible. You're not just trying to find six prize cards because that wouldn't make any sense it makes no sense like i saw multiple comments about that where it's like if you're re the rearranging of cards is just eating up time it's not if your goal is to find all six year prize cards it's a very time efficient way to find all six prize cards um otherwise why would you do it that would make no sense to me <laughs> when i saw people make those kind of comments i was like well then why would you rearrange cards if it wasn't a faster way to find all six prize cards yeah the rearranging of the cards is just a faster way to find all six prize cards at least in my experience and from what i've seen from other you know top players doing it uh, I've been doing it, uh, and if it did get banned tomorrow, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like upset about it or anything. But like, as far as as long as it's like legal to do, and I feel like it is the most uh, time efficient way for me to find all six of my prize cards, I'm going to do it. So a lot of people are comparing it to declumping, which for you know anyone <laughs> who hasn't been playing for more than five years probably hasn't heard that term because it's not really something that is. I, I think it's like literally not allowed anymore. Is that right? Like declumping, no, I, is you can you can still declump. Okay. Yeah, so declumping de for anyone who doesn't know is when you like let's say you look through like the main the main thing that came up and i used to declump back in the day because i didn't know it had no effect on your deck so the biggest thing for me back in the day that i can remember was like whenever i would see my double tur uh double colorless energy stacked on top of each other i would separate them because i thought oh i want to be able to you know increase my odds of seeing my double colorless energy but i don't want all three of them to be on the bottom of the deck but that's just not how it works once you riffle shuffle your deck seven to ten times afterwards um they could all be back together they could all be separate they could be all on the bottom they could be all on the top it doesn't matter and back then i didn't know um and i did thoroughly shuffle my deck back then as well but i just had no idea that it's had near zero impact on anything and i saw like other people declump back in the day as well as like back yeah. in like 2011 2012 like almost um, every top player declumped for a long time or like a decent yeah. amount of them and it was definitely like a big discussion point <laughs> like yeah. some people were very uh, and and when it comes down to it if you're moving cards around in your deck with the intent of I want to separate these two cards, that is like <laughs> a way to technically stack your deck. Yeah, right? yeah. Because and in in a random sixty card deck, it is like one of those random outcomes of however many you know exponential outcomes there are. One of those outcomes does involve those two cards being next to each other, right? Like even yeah. though there's two double colors next to each other, that's still a random outcome. Yeah, that's one of my one of the most tilting things these days when people when I like draw a hand on PDCGO or someone makes a comment it's like, oh, you'd never draw that in real life, or that's not truly random. It's like you, the fact that you could draw four double turbo energy in your opening hand means your deck is random. Like it's a possibility. Anything is possible. But yeah, yeah. decomping is when you separate 
usually it's like some of the same card together. So if you picked up your, if you did a search and you're playing Lost Box and you saw all four of your chorus stacked on top of each other in the middle of your deck, it's like separating them out. So there's like one towards the top, a little bit lower in the middle and at the bottom or something. And then shuffling. And the thing is like most people, almost everyone still thoroughly shuffles their deck afterwards. But um, like me back in the day, or a lot of people still probably to this day, um, especially back in the day, didn't understand that declumping doesn't do anything. If you thoroughly shuffle your deck afterwards, then declumping didn't do anything to begin with. And if you don't thoroughly shuffle your deck afterwards, you're cheating. So you can only be one or the other. Um, and if you're not cheating, then there's no reason to declump. So basically, de- there's, uh, when you rearrange your cards to check your prize cards, it's basically declumping with a purpose of finding your six prize cards more efficiently, more time efficiently to save time is the point of declumping when you go to check your prize cards. So it's not quite the same thing. And the comparison is pretty silly, in my opinion. Yeah, so like that was definitely something that a lot of people were making that comparison, saying that, you know, declumping is kind of looked down upon. Um, why are we rearranging our prize cards? And the thing is, is if you are shuffling afterwards and, and a human shuffling a sleeved deck of 60 cards or 50 whatever cards, if once you've drawn your opening hand or 40, whatever, whatever it is, um, uh, a human shuffling a deck is never actually humans cannot achieve true random, right? Like it's not, we are not computer programs. PTCGO is actually technically more random than a human is <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but shuffling randomizing to the best of our ability. Uh, if you organize the deck with the energies at the front or whatever, and I don't, I think like it has to be reasonable, right? You can't be, putting your entire deck in deck list order <laughs> as you're doing your first <laughs> You have to search. be fast to do that in a reasonable saw, amount of time. I saw people joking about that. Um, I think that would get into the realm of like, okay, you've been, your, your first search has been over six, 90 seconds. It's been over 120 seconds. Like <laughs> let's move things along here. Um, and then it like almost feels like you have to shuffle more. I don't know. Um, so it just adds even more time to, to, what shouldn't take that long. Um, I don't really like super disagree with the Mahone take though. Like I don't think, I think in most decks it is acceptable to just check the important things really quick. Right. Um, and then like maybe figure out your other prizes, like through your next searches, but it's just like with lost box specifically, it's become way, way, way more important. Right. I guess a little bit. I think it's more important to know all six year prize cards than people think. And it, it's one of those things where it's like kind of, uh, min-maxing i guess a little bit right sure um where it's like you will lose not knowing all six year prize cards you will lose your your one percentage will go down but like i said there's kind of a balance to it and this is what the top players try and do very well it's like sometimes you have to give up going into game three you have to give up checking your prize cards right thoroughly because the time that you save by not doing that increases your odds of winning the game than actually knowing your six prize cards right so it's like you want to be as thorough as you possibly can as often as you can up until the point where it no longer becomes time efficient to be as thorough as possible. Um, so, I mean, yeah, knowing all six of your prize cards, pretty important. Um, it would be interesting if like a rule came out to be like <clears throat> overall where you just like checked your like not even like a like a gentleman's agreement that becomes like technically legal um, where it's like you could agree with your opponent for you to both to check your prize cards, but where um where it's like in the rules that you just look at your six prize cards before the game starts, like an official rule. Like that would be interesting if that ever happened. I feel like it wouldn't. Um, and if it never does, I still think the, there is a lot of value in being time efficient with checking your prize cards, but I'm not like, like I said, I'm not against like a rule coming out where you can't like take, you know, too long, can't organize your deck, you know, maybe 30 seconds, max 45 seconds, whatever 
to uh, on the first search, like a little bit of extra time for the first search, but not to the point, I guess, where it's gotten currently where people feel like it is like a reason for, you know, a match not finishing. I think it also comes with like a little bit of inexperience for people in general who are like trying to prize check, but they're not as efficient at it. So it's impacting more games of Pokemon than it would if they were more efficient at it. But like, that's one of the things like there's always going to be players who are learning how to do things in the game. So always going to be a learning curve, always going to be new people trying to pick up these skills that they see the top players having. Um, so yeah, let us know your thoughts on the whole prize checking situation down in the <laughs> comments below. Um, how important do you think it is to know all six of those prize cards versus the amount of time that it takes from your match? We can move on now, though, to probably a bunch of people who did check their prize cards. The top eight of the <laughs> Perth Regional The top prize checkers in Australia right there. <laughs> so, yes, there was a regional championships this past weekend in Perth in Australia. And... We saw a lot of the kind of uh, same names, the people we expect to see in top eight of these Australian events doing well. Um, Natalie Miller, Christian Hasbani being two of the main ones there, both on the Vikavolt, by the way. We also saw Jake Lazari with Arceus Duraludon, Jeremy Evans with Lugia Archeops, Corey O'Leary and Derek Dow, both with Lost Zone Toolbox decks, and Joko Wong and Corey Munro with a Zashin deck and a Lugia deck, respectively. Yeah, so I want, I want to quite call it a Zashin deck. That's what I thought it was at first. Yeah, sorry, it's sorry. Like a... <laughs> it's a Lost Box deck. <laughs> it is with a Lost Zashin. Box deck with a 1-1 one, one Zashin uh, V-Star, which is still cool. Um, uh, and this is like, it's, it's a Kyogre build. Um, I had no idea what to expect until I pulled up the Limitless page and looked at the list. But yeah, it's a Kyogre Lost Box build with a 1-1 one, one Zashin V-Star. Um, uh, Zashin V-Star, for anyone who doesn't know, 270 HP. It's got the break edge for 200 and ignores all effects on your opponent's active Pokemon. So can hit pretty hard up against Gudra would be like one of the things. And then for metal, metal, colors, colors, you're doing 310 damage. You do do 30 damage to yourself. So it's an evolution Pokemon. So it can deal with Ice Q and Flying Pikachu. Hits really hard. Um, I mean, it's just kind of a... We also saw a Zacian deck, not quite, not a Lost Box build, like a straightforward Zacian deck. Make day two at uh, Bokum Regionals. Um, so is Zacian maybe just kind of a slept on card right now? And just no one's put the time and effort in to try it out i mean i think a big part of why the card is good as well is just zashin v being such a strong card like ever ever since sword and shield came out this has been one of the best cards it's really we haven't seen much of it in about a year it feels like but i mean just its intrepid sword ability alone is i mean just getting plus three cards on turn one going first is lost box that's probably pretty good, right? Um, okay. And then if you ever do hit energies on it, like maybe in the more dedicated Zashin deck from uh, Bokum, you know, you're going to be doing 230 turn two, which is enough to KO things like Lugia V before your opponent even has a chance to evolve. Um, so yeah, I think this is definitely interesting. Having a good answer against Gudra, which is probably a tough matchup otherwise, right? Um, also good against Arcus Duraldon as well, because yeah. you'd, be, you'd be, I mean, 310 to an Arcus Duraldon is quite a bit of damage. And then you're not getting one hit KO by the draw on either. Yeah, so there's plenty of instances where this card seems pretty solid. Um, I don't know, like you can't find it, right? You can't. There's no Ultra Ball or anything yeah. like that. You, you'd have to to. <laughs> I didn't even think about that to be honest. You have to Rihon to search it out, and then Lost Box decks do just generally see like a decent amount of cards. So you probably you have like a, a fifty plus percent chance to just draw into it naturally by the time you need it, right? Maybe even higher yeah. than that, honestly. 
um you just see enough cards that it's probably fine and you don't need it in every matchup like i would imagine you don't even bench the zashin in every matchup but i don't know maybe it does come down a decent amount just for that intrepid sword i mean i feel like sometimes just intrepid sword for plus three cards can be more valuable than even 110 damage from cramorant in some situations I definitely feel like, I guess if you're going second, it's like an awkward thing that you're punching with the cram. Maybe you've seen the plus card. I mean, the thing is, like, you probably don't want to put it in play against Lugia. Yeah. Weak to fire, so, like, Zarge is going to clean you up. But it, the fringe matchups, um, even mirror match is probably not terrible because it has a ton of HP and it's a two-price Pokemon. So if your opponent has to two-hit KO it, like, you get a ton of efficiency out of it for a couple turns. It's probably decent against Reggie's work. as well, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely good against Reggie's for sure as well. Yeah, because you could even like Brave Blade and then wait to evolve and then evolve the turn after so they can't like Regice to stop you or just like play a Switch card or whatever. So, because um, like Dragonite, yeah, Dragonite was always really good against Reggie's or is really good against Reggie's. So I can't imagine this wouldn't be too much different. Probably still pretty good as well. But yeah, I mean, it's just like a decent, um, decent attacker. And besides that, you got like the whole, all the, every, the one thing that's like weird about the list that's a little bit off putting to me is there's only one of each attacker in the list. Like, <laughs> yeah. Sableye and Kramer are really good. Playing one of each of them feels a little bit sus. You just have like a couple bad flower selectings early on, or even prize cards uh, like matter that much more now, right? If you prize your one Sableye, your one Kramer, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it does make prize checking probably easier, right? <laughs> you only got one Sableye, or yeah. like it makes it even, maybe it makes it less important, right? Because you you check your energy real quick. You've got more of your energy, so that's good as well. Um, but then it's like you flower selecting into Sableye and something else, and you don't have to think, oh, is my other Sableye prized? Nope, you know it's <laughs> it's not in the deck. <laughs> so the you know right The most prize there. checking efficient. See, and then we're talking about the best prize checkers. In Australia, that makes sense. Why wouldn't you just be that much more efficient with your price checking? <clears throat> there you go. Another plus, another plus. And this deck <laughs> did make it to the finals, but it did end up losing to Derek Dow, who took down the whole event with his own Lost Box deck. And it is with the Lost Dogs, as people have called it, the Raikou, Zamazenta. I don't know. Yeah, what do you think of the Lost Dogs? Uh, it's interesting because... Um... It's basically Rayquaza without Rayquaza, right? Yeah, like when you look at it, you're like, oh, it's Rayquaza without Rayquaza. You still have, so now you have Zamazenta in there as like your Stoutland answer, plus just kind of a heavy hitter. And then, I mean, Ra Raikou, if you get a, a full attack off with Raikou against Lugia, that's always was always better than attacking with Rayquaza against Lugia to begin with. But they played on Sparse, takes away the weakness of their hitting with Lugia. They play Manaphy, takes away the snipe damage, so to work to get that damage set up you do have to work a little bit harder and we see two bosses orders in here so cram becomes a more viable attacker for removing dunsparce and manaphy from play and then there's a sableye in there as well as like your main go-to way to remove dunsparce and manaphy from play and you have like the temple of cinnamon there to potentially deal with the wash energy that a couple people have been playing in lugia um and actually one thing i would do want to mention is i'm pretty sure um uh oh how do you pronounce it yoichi um, also one with the exact same list in seniors, um, who's one of like the most accomplished seniors players this year, or is it juniors? Yeah. Uichi in seniors? seniors. In seniors. Okay. I thought it was yeah. seniors. Yeah. And they got second place this, uh, this, uh, this year at OCIC as well. Um, I think they played, and I think that this is the deck that they were playing actually, um, was so. this deck. Um, and now it took, I mean, the next Australian tournament, it took first place in seniors and masters. Um, so there's definitely some merit to it for sure. Definitely some merit, despite the lack of Rayquaza. Because like I said, Raikou is the better attacker against Lugia. And then all your, like your, your mirror match stacks up about the same. Um, I will mention, though, there's like no... You don't have a heavy hitter for like the Gudra and the Arctura matchups, though. That's like where it might come up a little bit short in those matchups. Like Raikou still puts a lot of damage in play if they have two Pokemon. And then Zamazenta still hard, hits hard. But you don't have like not having something like a Dragonite or a Rayquaza 
definitely is probably something that the the deck wishes it had in those matchups. Yeah, and no, like, I guess you have Raikou, so there's no reason for, like, you're not playing Kyogre with Raikou, but, yeah, having to rely yeah. on that. Um, yeah, the double boss is really cool with the Crams, like you mentioned, makes it a more more of a threat, and it lets you chase down those Manaphys a lot more efficiently, or the Dunsparces, yeah. whatever it might be. Um, also, in something like the Mew matchup, it makes it even easier to just take out Genesex as well, right, with Cramorant. Um so yeah, I actually I'm a, I'm a big fan of the double boss. I also has the Temple of Sinnoh in here. This is a card that started to pop up in a lot of Lost Box decks as well. Um, like it's solid against Lugia, but I feel like it's mainly here trying to combat like Wash Energy Ice Q. It's like That's a scary true. tech there. Um, it also can be good against stuff like Reggie's, right? Shutting off the Gift Energy can be nice, but you're not really disrupting Reggie, so it's not quite as relevant. Um, yeah. But yeah, Temple is just kind of like a decent stadium right now. And this build doesn't really want to play Pokestop, I don't feel like, right? You don't want to, you, you play way too many supporters to worry about Pokestop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, training Court would probably be pretty decent, but Temple of Sinnoh seems yeah. solid too. Yeah, there's just too much wash in the format. I mean, there's not that much wash in Lugia's. Like, I even looked at the stats in the online tournaments the other day, and it was like 0.06%. Yeah, of I feel like wash. wash. It was a little yeah. bit more popular. Uh, it was like 23% in day two of OCIC, though. So, um, so like, I think it's decent. Like, and yeah, you never know when the like SQ is not really popping up. But what having is the Sinnoh there? Ice Q is not really popping up, but <laughs> having the Sinnoh just in case you hit an Ice Q is nice as well. So, and it does deal with the wash in yeah the lugia deck if they do play it so it's just a kind of like a nice stadium to have training court's probably the, the the most powerful stadium in lost box but um yeah there's definitely some good benefits to the temple of Sinnoh for sure and looking at the rest of cuts uh there was another lost box i guess we could just mention really quickly looks really similar to it might actually just be your 60 it, yeah it is OCIC. From OCIC. <laughs> yep it is <laughs> so yeah same 60 deck is still good right um i think you've said like you would change a couple things of this list right if you wanted to play it moving forward like uh, i know you've talked about Ryko v and stuff right yeah i think that's like the main thing to adding would be a Ryko v um i don't know what i cut maybe we'll try doing the one cram thing but the more I like play loss, the like the more playing loss box at Knoxville, like I use double cram so often. Like it's really good yeah. in the mirror match as well. I don't know. But yeah, Raikou V probably is just worth including. Uh, and for then sure. we see a couple Lugias in here, Jeremy Evans and Corey. Jake Lazari getting top four with the Arc Dura. Shout outs to Jake, who said he tried to take it all the way because <laughs> last week Azul did predict that Dura would win Perth. Got the top four, couldn't quite take it down though. Unlucky. Um, Congrats to Jake, though, on the finish. And then we saw Natalie Miller and Christian Hasbani in top eight with the Vikavolt. What do you think of the decision there of probably two of the best players, definitely the two most well-known players in this top eight, choose to play Vikavolt for this tournament? Um, I mean, if it's not Lugia, I agree with the choice. (laughs) So (laughs) basically how I feel about it overall. I think Vikavolt's like a pretty solid deck overall right now. Uh, your Lugia matchup is close. I, this is like the path build, not the Aerodactyl build. But even then, Aerodactyl or path, I feel like the matchup's pretty close to 50 50. Um, say one more thing about it as well. I don't know. The, the Lost Box matchup like isn't too ridiculously good. And like Natalie lost to uh, Jake with the Arctura in top eight. So like its fringe matchups aren't great. You're losing to Arctura, yeah. losing to Gudra most of the time as well. Um, so yeah, once you get to the fringe matchups, it's not great. And then it seems like a lot more of these lost box decks are playing heavy Raihan counts, which also is not great for Vega Vault. So um, 
yeah i mean i'm not surprised that they're both in top eight but also not surprised like with what everything else that was in top eight that uh they weren't able to get too much further than that because we saw the saw the lost boxes with the raihans and then also the or one of the lost box had the double right hand and then the Arctur. Like those, it's just hard for it's hard for Vikable to win a tournament. I feel like because um, you hit any of those fringe matchups towards uh, the winning in or in top eight, you're just you're just kind of cooked right there. You don't really have a good ch- a good chance against them ever. Yeah, yeah. It just depends on how the matchups fall. It's it's matchups are definitely pretty polarized. And whenever one of your best matchups in something like the lost box is starting to play cards that are just naturally pretty good against you, the Zamazenta and the Raihan, oh, like yeah, the Zamazenta is going to be super good against it. Or not the Zamazenta, the Zacian V-Star is probably all. Like, even though there was no... There is Raihan in that build, actually. There's one Raihan. But yeah, yeah. the Zacian V-Star is like... Anything that's just like a big Pokemon, they don't even have to do that much damage. Like, if they're just not getting KO'd and they can keep attacking, it's it's tough. So yeah, Zamazenta also falls in that category as well. Yeah, so it definitely feels like Raihan kind of on the rise in the Lost Zone decks. Um, do you think that's a trend we'll continue to see moving forward, like Raihan versions of Lost Box being maybe a bit more popular than something like the the Kyogre or, um, you know, maybe like the Turbo Lost Zone or anything like that that we've seen in the past? Um, I mean, yeah, it's just really good with Raikou, to be honest. Like, it's, and it's really good with any of the triple energy, triple different energy attacking uh, Lost Zone attackers. So Raikou, Rayquaza. I mean, that's kind Zamazenta of the, the main two. Zamazenta, yeah um so it's just good with those it's just really good with those so if yeah if you're playing raikou you're probably playing some count of raihan for sure so it just comes down to like are the raikou, raikou builds the most popular builds if they are more uh more raihan if not less raihan yeah so congratulations to derek dow on getting the win down under in perth with the lost zone deck um yeah seems pretty good do you think like this build of lost zone will maybe like moving into this next two tournaments um do you think there's a chance like this becomes the more popular way for the deck to be played, or is it still Rayquaza maybe up at the front? I think it'll just be Ray for the rest of the format, to be honest. And I don't think like there's really a front runner either, so like I think that's reasonable. But yeah, I think it'll just be Ray. Like it seems to be everyone's like it seems to be overall more people's favorite build. Um, and yeah, a lot of people just like to have. I feel like one of those things that it goes back to, which is like a bad reason to play a deck. Because it really should just come down to what you think has the best win percentage. So if you're trying to play a lost, lost box deck, it shouldn't be, oh, I, I have requires I can one hit KO anything. It's like, yeah, but do you need to one hit KO anything? You shouldn't just like be like have like like yeah. a blanket safety net of like, oh, but I, I can get one hit KO with anything with requires. It's like, okay, you're not wrong. You can one hit KO with anything with Rayquaza, but what's in the format? What are we trying to one hit KO with Rayquaza? And if they're and if it's just better to just play like just the Raikou build without the Rayquaza, be more consistent about Raikou, it's possible that's just the better build. You shouldn't think about it in terms of like I feel like sometimes people get like lost in this kind of whole thought process of like having that kind of safety net thing where like it definitely is like a growing phase when you like get become a better player that becomes less of a thing you kind of concern yourself with and you should only eventually concern yourself with which deck you think gives you like the best chance to win as far as like the decks you're comfortable with currently. Sometimes it's okay to go into a tournament and say, I'm going to take a loss to Arceus Duraludon. Yeah, you can right? lose, like, you can lose to Gooch. I don't know if I'd lose to Arceus Duraludon. I actually think Arceus Duraludon is one of those decks right now where I kind of yeah, want to make yeah. sure I beat it. But you can definitely lose to Gudra. Like, you don't have to be able to one-hit KO a Gudra with a Rayquaza if your deck can already beat Arctur. You don't have to also be able to beat Gudra. Gudra kind of sucks. You know, just take the L. You'll be all right. And uh, from that, Azul, we can move on to everyone's favorite segment of the podcast, Guess That Flavor Text. It's Azul's turn to pick this week, so I'll let you take it away, Azul. All right, um, so I guess that flavor text is a segment in the show where one of the hosts, me or Chip, 
picks a card and reads the flavor text on it, and then the other host has to try and guess which Pokemon that card belongs to. If you guess it without using any lifelines, you get four points. Uh, for each lifeline you use, you lose a point to gain. Now, at the beginning of this uh, podcast, me and Chip were talking, you know, leading up to the podcast, what are we going to talk about this on the episode? Uh, and I was like, read, I was my turn to pick a card. So I was reading through, I was looking at cards while we were talking. Uh, and I was just kind of talking out loud. And I said, oh, this would be, this one would be too hard. And Chip said, no, I've got it. Uh, very cockily, <laughs> without even so, knowing like anything yeah. about it so i'm locking it in <laughs> and i think it will be a tough one but chip are you ready for it uh maybe i was a little overzealous here we'll see <laughs> it faces strong opponents with great courage but when at a disadvantage in a fight this intelligent pokemon flees So a courageous Pokemon faces strong opponents with courage. All right, read it. Let's read it one more time. It faces strong opponents with great courage. But when at a disadvantage in a fight, this intelligent Pokemon flees. Intelligent Pokemon. Interesting. So at first I was thinking this could be like a first form uh, fighting type Pokemon. Like one of my first thoughts was like to Timber or something like that standing up to like a bigger Pokemon in a fight, but it says this intelligent Pokemon flees. So, I mean, pretty much any time I think of an intelligent Pokemon, you think of psychic types uh, just because of like their lore or whatever in the games, like they're always the smart ones, right? Um, So I'm going to lean towards it most likely being a psychic type. I probably will have to use some lifelines here. I'll start with what set is the card from? It is from black and white. Ooh, mm. <laughs> Timber's from black and white. Hmm. Is Timber intelligent though? Timber, I mean, he's like he's like a little guy, why, right? Why are you talking trash little... on Timber? <laughs> Timber, Timber's he's a little dude. He's probably got some intelligence, right? Like he's a smart guy. Um, let's see. Oh, man, if I got this right, I would just jump ahead. Man, part of me really, I, I feel like it's just got to be a psychic type though. It's got to be a psychic type. Let me have you read an attack name. Bite. Oh, that's useless. <laughs> a bite? That's what you got for me? Give me the other attack name. Come on now. I told you it was going to be tough. And oh, you're like, no, nope. <laughs> you wanted this. We'll run through them all. What, what stage is the card? Basic. I don't think it's Timber. I, I do not think it's used. Timber anymore. Um, oh, yeah. I don't think Timber has a bite. No. <laughs> I'm just going to no. go ahead and make He's it got go. a mouth, though. He does have a mouth, which means he could bite. He could True. Bite. A lot of Pokemon. Every Pokemon theoretically has bite, right, as an attack, technically. Most. Not everyone. Well, it's like most. every Pokemon can learn Toxic. Every Pokemon that has Why teeth, can every Pokemon like, learn Toxic, Azul? Because every Pokemon could be Toxic? No, because they all poop, bro. That's what Toxic is? <laughs> is that the... Wait, can every Pokemon actually learn Toxic in the video? I think so, right? Maybe? I don't know. That might be trolling I'm, I'm going to Google I'm... this now. You can... <laughs> yeah, yeah. while I'm thinking. Um, I might have literally just made that up on the spot. I don't know. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Anyway, um, so I'm going to think it's a dark type. I mean, could it all be... Pokemon, all Pokemon that can learn TMs can learn Toxic. So is okay. that all Pokemon? Not quite, right? So. I think so. 
I think oh wait, so. yeah. The question was why can all Pokemon learn toxic? Okay, every yeah. Pokemon can because they can all poop. I'm telling you, that's the answer. All right. I mean, I guess I can maybe what about fart? We don't have to go too far. I don't know. <laughs> you don't think Pokemon... every Pokemon poops? Well, they do, but do we want to poop in on the battlefield? What about just like farting is like more reasonable? Yeah, but that's, that's not toxic, toxic enough. That's toxic that's just, enough, I feel that's like. That's just stinky. The the yeah, tag's but... not called stinky, it's called toxic. <laughs> all right, Chip. You're invested in this, I'll let you have it. Oh man. Okay. Um I'm trying to stall, with mouth. honestly. I'm trying to stall. Um, it, I mean, part of me, I mean, I, part of me wants to go with like Sand Isle or something. Crocker Rocks, basic, right? You did almost, I, I did spike the Crocker Rock that one time, insane. but I don't know if there is one in black and white. I know there's the one in Emerging Powers. Um, from black and white base set, though, thinking of the other dark types, there's, Maybe a Bisharp, a Bisharp, or a Ponyard, I should say. I don't think that guy bites. Um you have teeth. He's got swords. Oh, Ponyard. Yeah, yeah. So like Ponyard probably doesn't learn bite. Ponyard probably does not learn. You said Bisharp. It's a dark first, type, so though. It's oh, a no, but Bisharp. Uh, Bisharp's not. I was thinking of Sharpedo. You said Bisharp, and I was thinking of Sharpedo for some reason. Oh, is it Lillipup? I'm going to go with Lillipup. Is it Lillipup? Yes, no shit. Let's go. How did you get there? It's Lillipop. We got How did you get to Lillipop? Did you just remember that I had bite? I just was thinking it's a dog. I was I was trying to think of a dog Pokemon because I was thinking dark types with bite, and then for some reason my tangential mind went to like the current Pokemon that are dark types, and I thought about like, oh, Mabostiff is like one of the new Pokemon that's a dark type. It's a dog. I was like, oh wait, what dog Pokemon could it be? Lillipup, black white base set, boom, lock it See, in. Yeah, I definitely couldn't say pickup. If I had said pickup, yeah, you got it. <laughs> so it is the pickup. It is the pickup Lillipup then. Okay, I think there's two Was... in black white base sets. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't pick uh, Lillipup to be an intelligent Pokemon, but apparently it is. Apparently, is Stalin intelligent as well? Then I assume. Herdier, yeah, it's bro. funny when you look at the line, the evolution line. Herdier looks older than Stoutland. Like Stoutland looks kind of majestic. But Herdier just looks like a little old, little old geezer. <laughs> a geezer. Uh, yeah. Stoutland. Like, no, I don't know. Stoutland is is like this. Lillipup is like the young private, ready to go to battle, right? And Herdier is like the the seasoned sergeant, and then like <laughs> Stoutland is the you know the intelligent general making all the decisions. But Stoutland like, just like looks younger than Herdier. Like it looks no, like... no shot. You're trolling what? for that. You think Stoutland looks bigger. younger? It doesn't look like it looks. Herdier looks like the older dog, bro. Stoutland looks bigger. Stoutland's bigger, but Herdier looks like it's like an old dog. And Herdier looks like it could be like an old, but not an older dog, but not old. You know what I'm saying? Stoutland. Stoutland, yeah, yeah. Stoutland doesn't. It looks like old, but not old. Old. Herdier looks like a 15 year old. Listen, Stoutland flavor text. Like a... This extremely wise Pokemon excels at rescuing people stranded at sea or in the mountains. It's extremely also, wise as well. Yeah, and also really good at drawing two prize cards against Lost Box. <laughs> True. And Herdier just loyally follows its trainer's order. See, Herdier is just a follower. Herdier's only a follower. Hasn't, Stoutland's, hasn't Stoutland's out enough. here saving people. True. Same people All right, from well, we got there with lies. the Lillipup. I Insane. am now just one point behind Azul. Let us know down in the comments. Were you able to come through in the clutch with the Lillipup? Did it come Those to shines. you in the last second like me? <laughs> Let's go. 
that hypes me up. Nothing gets me more excited than like getting a last second answer correct on guess that flavor text. All right. So just talked about Perth regionals. We've got some more major tournaments coming up this weekend. We got Vancouver regionals and I got the hiccups all of a sudden. Natal regionals. Natal. Yep. Down in Brazil. So a couple tournaments happening this weekend. It feels kind of, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this meta, this format. It's just no evolution, so man. Much. Yeah. It's just so little to change. Um, but we'll still discuss it for anyone who's going to either of these events. But rotation is just around the corner, guys. We're at like a month away. It's so, so close. We're going to get the new set soon. Um, and look at the new cards talk about <laughs> all this stuff it's going to be so much more exciting but for now we're talking about lugia lost box and mew uh it is worth noting we should mention um for anyone going to vancouver regional specifically uh this is the to that does the 8 p.m deck list submission time so be aware if you're traveling from the east coast that um you're probably going to need to submit your deck list before you leave on your trip. Uh, like for me, me, for example, like I'm obviously casting, not playing, but um, I don't even land in Vancouver until 8.30. So <laughs> if I was playing, like I would have to make the decision of what deck I'm playing Thursday night pretty much, which yeah. is no fun. Yeah, definitely still not loving this. I don't think anyone likes this. I think there's some people who are neutral on it, of course, but I don't think anyone thinks this is like... If we if if we went went back to the way that every other regional does it, then I think more people would be happy, um, and then the neutral people would still be neutral. But I feel like no one is like actively pushing for, you know, eight p.m. deckless submission. Besides the tos, apparently, apparently it was a big success. So, um, but it feels yeah, like only a hundred people got round one losses. Only a hundred. Oh wait, actually, yeah, it was something like that. At what tournament? At uh, Salt Lake. Whatever the first one of... was, whatever the first one was. San Diego, San Diego. Yeah, because people didn't submit their lists. Wait, really? Maybe I it wasn't I heard that, that I thought I heard that everyone submitted their lists on time. That is not true. Oh, okay. That doesn't happen at any tournament. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that's what I saw them say. So I was like, okay, maybe it did work. Maybe because like, you know, it was like a thing that no one liked. There was they a lot did of tweet about it buzz about it so like a lot of people heard about it which means everyone heard they have to have your deck list submitted by 8 p.m and then everyone submitted their deck list by 8 p.m um, so i was like i could that i kind of followed that train of logic and i was like okay maybe that makes sense why everyone got their deck list submitted on time because that's what i thought i saw was that everyone submitted their deck list on time but i could be wrong on that yeah i don't think that's right but i will um... is that more than the average there's a lot if it's 100 people that's like 10 percent, right yeah that's a lot i don't know if it, i i, I want to rescind that statement because i don't know that it's a hundred percent accurate i think they did tweet something about it so i'm going to try to find it but yeah as we'll get us into this uh if i can find it i'll i'll talk about it but get us into this first point here <laughs> all right so let's start off let's talk a little bit about uh lugia the lugia cycle where we at um things to think about i guess right now is like you want to play the bird keeper i guess like switch card in general if you're rocking irida still probably want the rope bird keeper if not i still think i like bird keeper over over the Irida stuff. I don't know, but it, and I guess the other thing with that is like, should you play Canceling Cologne right now? And I kind of like Canceling Cologne. Now, we did see the two Vika Volts that made top eight at Perth. They were not playing the Aerodactyl, but I feel like there's enough Aerodactyl out there right now in the Mew, some Vika Volt builds, because like just at Knoxville, we saw Alex Shemansky making top eight with the Vika Volt Aerodactyl. So, and also the biggest thing I think with that would be, would be I would want to play 
it as an answer for Ardura more than anything. So I'm kind of digging. I just said I'm not digging the Irida, but I'm actually, I think I am <laughs> digging the Irida. Irida with the canceling Cologne, I think is how I would go right now. Not a huge fan of the Wash Energy. I don't think it does enough against the Lost Box decks, to be honest. Like it does do what you kind of want it to do, but everyone has like Sinnoh in their Lost Boxes right now. And I feel like it will be pretty popular. So I think I would take the, the extra step as a Lugia player this week and just not play the Wash Energy. I'd probably rock like Irida. No switch card though, I don't think. I don't think I'm afraid of paralysis stuff this week. Uh so I personally, if I was rocking Lugia, which I won't be playing <laughs> unless I get last minute convinced. If I was playing Lugia, I'd probably be playing the Irida package with the canceling clone. Cause I want to beat Arcdura and I wouldn't play Wash Energy. Yeah, I actually like the um I kind of like collapse stadium in Lugia right now, to be honest um i don't dislike the collapse either yeah yeah i like collapse and i think if you're playing collapse you play skyla just by yeah, merit right yeah um so i'm actually kind of a fan of the collapse right now that's a tech i think i would be a fan of this weekend um we did see it in the winning list from um the skyla collapse combo was in the winning list from Pokemon. yeah yeah with the and it's pretty cool because in the mirror match and the lost box matchup you can do like a cool play where you go luminian to get skyla to get collapsed and then you attack with Luminion on the turn against Lost Box, you're pretty much KOing anything. And then up against the mirror matches, so you would do it into a turn where you're KOing like the Yabeltal or the Raikou, and then you can like collapse Stadium away like an extra Lugia or whatever you want to get rid of off your bench. So, um, yeah, that's like a pretty cool combo that you can actually do into like the two most popular matchups in the game. So that's cool. Yeah, the collapse kind of cool. If you're doing the collapse, definitely do the Skyla though over the Irida. Yeah. It makes no sense to play collapse without the Skyla, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I think it's really good in the Reggie matchup as well, which Reggie is like. It's always been up there. It's, it's like fourth or fifth most played deck. So yeah, it's not it like, a, like it's not a deck worth including a card for. But like if you have a card that is good in the matchup, like it's pretty nice. Right. Um, yeah. So like specifically like Reggie's one of the matchups where you want to attack with two or three Lugia V star potentially. Um, so having it as a way to retreat a damaged Lugia V star and discard it from play is actually really solid. And possibly making it so your opponent literally can't play the game anymore if they can't find another <laughs> of their true. own stadium. They, like they could it, just yeah. lose. Yeah. So yeah, class is pretty solid and I agree. Yeah, you definitely want to go with the, the Skyla over that uh, instead. <clears throat> Although it does feel like the Skyla is not quite as strong as the Irida, to be honest. But I think it definitely has to less... find your collapse. Big yeah, deal. it has less less use for sure, right? Like yeah. there's just less you can do with it. Mm -hmm. um, then we've got, how is Lost Box positioned? Obviously just one down in Perth, you won at OCIC with it. Um, but other than that... It almost feels like Lost Box is still a deck that's kind of playing without an identity right now. Um, there's just so many different versions of the deck. There's so many different things you can possibly do with it. We've got the Kyogre things out there with Dragonite. We've got um, the Raikou Amazing Rare. We've got Rayquaza Amazing Rare still running around. We've got Zacian V-Star. I don't know. Is where Where is Lost Box at? What build is best? Uh, it does feel like an archetype without an identity right now, though. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. I don't know what build is best, to be honest. Maybe it is just Lost Right. It's been consistently the most successful build overall. Uh, theoretically, has the widest matchup spread because you have the raid to kind of handle those more fringe matchups. Not to say that you should always play it. Um, but like, like I said, right now, like Dur is definitely a deck that's on my radar that I'm looking to make sure I can compete with. Um, so maybe that build, I definitely would give some time. And I'm sure quite a few other of the Lost Box enthusiasts out there will look at the Perth build and at least give it some time to try it out, right? There'll be some interesting stuff in the build. Um, as far as like the the power attackers in the deck and then kind of the lack of some of the consistency cards no guru no heavy ball 
Um, that's I would definitely put play the heavy ball. <laughs> I would definitely the first thing I look when I looked at the list, I'm like, I'm cutting an escape rope for a heavy ball for sure. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's it's I don't really have a read on which one I think is best uh overall. I feel like you should just kind of go with the one that you kind of enjoy playing the most right now, unless you really feel that strongly about it. But as of right now, I don't really like as I think the one I'm looking at to put the most time into is the um is the build from Perth. Kyogre doesn't feel great right now. Um, but then you can't go wrong with Ray or something like what I played at OCIC as well. Yeah, maybe with just that add of the Raikou V, like Azul said in his OCIC list. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of just if you've been testing Lost Box and you have a version of it that you enjoy, I don't think that you can really I think it's fine to roll up with whatever you feel pretty comfortable with. Um, unless you're like one of those top level players, then obviously you want to try to find the absolute perfect list right even if you have to change decks right but it's hard though uh, yeah it is hard it is hard um mu v max so we were looking at mu in this current format so this format has been you know a really drawn out one because it crown zenith has not changed too much <laughs> but uh technically if we're looking with crown zenith there have only been five major tournaments in this format and of those five major only tournaments five. Mu VMAX only has two top eight finishes. A oh, top are you eight, talking about like actually in the Crown Zenith format? Actually in the Crown Zenith format. Okay. So actually, actually in the I Crown guess, Zenith yeah. format, but the last five events, right? Which is like indicative of what the current meta is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mu has been the second and third most popular deck at the last several tournaments, but it only has two top eight finishes out of the last five tournaments. What does that mean, Azul? I actually just because you said that though, it made me like want to go and count. So realistically, we've had 12 major tournaments in this format. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean that's not expected. Like usually I'm predicting Mew to be a contender for at least a top eight slot in most of the regionals. I think that it has to be that generally Mew does not pair well into most lost box builds, especially when they're rocking like the Drapion Sky Sealstone, right? Um and I think that's Lost Box has been more popular than ever, right? We saw like that huge spike after, or it started to climb up heading into uh, Melbourne, right? Like Florida, it was getting, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's just been progressively getting more and more popular. And now we're looking at Lost Box as a 20% deck at most of these major tournaments now. And most Lost Box builds have a favorable Mew matchup. I think it's like the really the only thing that's changed, right? Like it's the only thing that's changed. We're not seeing like more Lugia players add Drapion or anything. It's just Lost Box is more popular. Lost Box pretty good against, uh, for the most part, not all builds, but most builds, especially the Kyogre builds or Drapion Sky Sealstone builds. They just have a really good, really good Mew matchup. I think that's what's, what's hurting Mew right now. All right. If we go back all the way to LAIC, the very first internationals, the very first tournament in this format, um, you know, not including Crown Zenith, obviously. You said it's 12 tournaments, right? So that's 96 possible top eight spots. How many do you think Mew has out of 96? Uh, I don't know. The answer is six. It's nine. Nine, okay. <laughs> nine out of 96. And if we look at the last five events, you know, the last month of tournaments, yeah. it's two out of, you know, whatever eight times five is, right? 40 <laughs> yeah two i know 40. that <laughs> so it's definitely been hurting recently and but the, the only real meta shift has been an increase in uh lost box right because there was even an increase in like arctura and gudra which are good matchups from you um and those have kind of tapered off a little bit 
Reggie's has always been sitting about the same, the five to seven percent range, right? I guess also another deck that has been more popular recently has been the Vika Vault, right? Which I think does also have a good, uh, a good, a good Mew matchup. And specifically, if you look at Natalie and Hasbani's list, um, they played the Pumpkaboo. So they like usually there's like one vacuum in there. So it's like you get two prize cards with Raikou, you knock out a Genesect, uh, and then Drapion draws four on a Mew V Max with the Sky Seal Stone. It's not much easier when you're rocking something like the Pumpkaboo in there, right? Like you go Mew, get a quick ball, get the Pumpkaboo, Pump Stadium, win the game, right? So I don't know. Yeah, it's like uh, all these all these decks that are popping up now are they just have. I feel like most of them just have good Mew matchups, and that's what's kind of hurting Mew more so than anything. Mew still has like a solid blue game matchup, even uh, arguably favorable, but when you can't beat anything else, excuse me, you're gonna struggle, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's matchups across the board just don't seem that good. But I, I don't think it's meta share is going to go down. I think it's going to remain a 12. Uh, yeah, that 12 to 10. Yeah, we might see 10. I mean, yeah. I think this was like the lowest it's ever been was at 11.7 at Knoxville. I think it's the lowest we've seen it. We're probably not going to get any data for Perth or Perth, but it's a little bit harder to read into it too much because it was only a 96 person tournament, right? So, um, which by the way, shout outs to Perth because that was their largest regionals ever. So good to see the game still growing. <laughs> <laughs> what was the increase though now I'm, now I'm like curious it was like 88 to 96 or something like that 85 right, to 96 something like that so that's growing. a sizable enough percentage right that is though no, that is like that is still a pretty big like i mean percent increase it's still fine i guess right yeah for yeah. sure um but yeah i think yeah Mew will still i think we could see Mew drop to maybe under 10 we could see it in the eight and nine percent uh range to be honest i wouldn't be like that surprised but it has been floating solidly around the we saw a pretty big jump at Orlando, I want to say, up to 16%. Or was that actually Knoxville? No, that was Melbourne, actually. I think Melbourne got up to 16%. Um, but it's usually around the 12%, um, 11% at Knoxville, I think. And then I could see it dropping under 10 because it's, it feels a little hostile for me right now. Not terribly so. Like, Muse can beat Lost Box. Uh, you can beat... Uh, Vika Vault's pretty tough. You can beat Vika Vault. Like, you can beat these decks, but, you know, you only want to take so many slightly unfavorable matchups or even reasonably unfavorable. Yeah, and even um, like looking at the day two in Knoxville, which is almost like a better thing. To, like you want to look at the overall meta for tournaments, but like as far as what is really finding tournament success, you need to look at day two meta yeah. share. Vikavold is the second most popular in Knoxville, right? Um, and Mew is third most popular. So it's like dropped. Oh, wait, no, this is not an order. Sorry. What is this order no, it by? Is. No, it's Metashare definitely percentage. not. It's definitely not because Lost Box is 11.9. It should be number two. We'll click on a thing and make it. Oh, mm -hmm. if only oh. I had tried to do that. <laughs> Wait, that's so weird. What is it? Oh, it's based. What is? Oh, it's based on points on the right side. Oh, and how well? Sure. That, that's weird. That's Wait, why can't you? So it's it? done better. Yeah, you should be able to change this, I would think. Right. But no can't mm -hmm. but it was still one of the more popular decks in day two mm -hmm. um but it did drop down to fifth most popular in day two the mew did um one two three four yeah fifth most popular in day two which is um i don't know pretty interesting like it goes from third to fifth and then if we look at something like melbourne we can pull that up statistics it goes from second most popular to third most popular like it and it's a pretty sizable yeah. decrease as well down to nine percent of the day two field versus 15 or whatever it was or 12 uh yeah. that it was in icic a little bit i don't know i don't think it's like too big of a i mean i think I, it's, I, I... it's like the um there's such a small percent of like the top players that are choosing to play 
That also impacted, right? Yeah. That that impacts it a lot, and that, it goes back to like the discussion we had around Mew back last season, right? It's like Mew's the broken deck, but none of the good players are playing it. So when is the tournament going to be that all the good players try to play Mew? Obviously, the tournament, the the format's a lot different than it was back then. I think um, Mew has definitely gotten a little. I, I think its matchups are much worse than they were back then, right? um yeah definitely it's just not it's not as power it's, it's not it was the lugia of the format back then yeah um but the mirror match was definitely more volatile um and i think there was like more reasonable hard counters to mew where like if you really want to beat mew you'd beat mew you can't really do that against lugia so right so we've talked about vikavolt a little bit going into this weekend for the two tournaments how do you think it's positioned uh Probably about the same, to be honest. Like I said, Arctur is like a bad matchup, and that's like a deck that I currently am feeling like I want to beat. But we're, me and my group was considering Vika Vault for Knoxville. Decided to not go with it in the end, but I think it's still pretty solid. You know, we see two of the, two of them in the top eight of Perth. Uh, struggles with some of the fringe stuff, and yeah, lost Ray or just kind of lost some decks with the Raihans in general is a pretty close matchup as well. Uh, but it does feel like you definitely have an edge against Lugia in the for the most part. But is it worth it at the cost of? I struggle feeling like you struggle against so much of the other fringe stuff. I don't know if it is worth it to be honest. I think it's solid though. Like I think it's solid. Um, like I'm thinking about in my head if I would want to play it or not. But I'm not currently like I'm not a huge fan of like potentially running it. Probably not gonna play it. But I think it's like a solid choice overall. I don't think it's like bad. Like Guja, we don't, we're not seeing like the Guja numbers we saw before or anything. So you don't have to deal with anything like that. So it's it's always gonna be solid. Um, how do we feel about Reggie's going to this format? Rahul Reddy's coming off of back-to-back top fours, top four at OCIC, top four in Knoxville. It also got top eight in Bochum. Shout-outs, you know, we always joke about how European players don't like to play Reggie's for whatever like reason. Reggie. Shout-outs to uh, Sin Cobber, who played it, got top eight in Bochum with it. Nobody got top eight with it in Perth, though. What do you think about the Reggie's right now, matchup spread-wise? It's, I think it's about the same. I don't think anything really changed for Reggie, like, at all. Should I just stop um, asking this question about every single deck? Because, like, yeah. nothing's changing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we've, it's a long format, right? Like, as we, everything's kind of flushed out for the most part. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, it feels like there's there's actually, it's starting to get a little bit better for Reggie because there's, like, less Ice Q, less Flying Pikachu, right? I think the way, the format's getting flushed out to the point where it's like, those decks were never really great before, but people were trying to, you know, try to make some cheese work, trying to hang on to that that dream of uh winning a tournament with the flying p but um yeah it's just i think people are coming around on it and being like yeah these decks are just not good and there'll be less and less people playing them as we move forward so it only gets like a little bit a little bit better for uh reggie's but yeah there's not too much changing <laughs> not too much changing we um, have seen a decrease of the gudra which like i think that's like one thing that has changed like gudra was for a little while like a decent meta orlando. share deck for orlando yeah. right and then it just kind of tanked after that um it was just uh, it was just the hype it was just the hype it was a hyped deck going to the tournament that's it like it was something new it did well oh my gosh is it real um nope. turns out <laughs> the deck's got a bad lugia matchup like <laughs> And I don't think you can, yeah, it's it's hard to feel confident playing anything that has a unfavorable Lugia matchup. And it feels like it's one of the things I kind of hate about the current meta or about Lugia specifically is like, I feel like some decks should be able to like take like bad loss box matchups to just like beat Lugia. Like you should be able to like take a deck like Gudra and be like, okay, I want to put a bunch of stuff in this deck for my Lugia matchup and maybe some other matchup suffers. But it just feels like you actually can't even do that. Like it doesn't. There's the, the tech cards don't exist to beat Lugia in that in that kind of way. Yeah. 
So similar to Gujar, we've got the Arcturaladon, which is like the cockroach that just won't go away. <laughs> <laughs> keeps coming back, keeps making top eight. Grant Shin's going to keep on playing it. We'll see him in top eight in Vancouver. I've got Probably. no doubt. Uh, Azul <laughs> Arctur, you said you feel like it's a deck that you want to respect going into this weekend. I know there's been tournaments in the past where you'd be like, okay, yeah, I can take a loss to Arceus Duraladon this weekend. But you don't feel like that's the case this weekend. Why is that? I think it's just like been building up a little bit gradually. You know, we constantly see the top eights. It's giving the Arctur players confidence. Some of them are probably going to come back around and want to rock it again. Um, so I'm putting a little bit more respect on it for Vancouver. Not because I think it's like a that good of a deck, but if that many people are going to play it, you know, you got to like respect the deck to a, a, to that point, right? At least to that extent of where if it makes up a big enough meta share, um, and it's definitely a deck like I would would not be surprised at all to see one of them in top eight, maybe two. Uh, I believe Grand Chen is going to the tournament, so that's one top eight slot missing already. Um, we always say, already. Uh, you know, we expect to see Sander in top eight of tournaments with control. Is it now time to say <laughs> we expect to see Grant Shin in top eight with 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 uh, with Duraladon? Yes, I can't wait for a rotation to hit, and then we'll, Grant Shen will never top eight another tournament again. <laughs> Bro, Duraladon loses nothing. What do you mean? Oh, wait, actually, you said you keep Arceus and Duraladon? Uh, I think the Duraladon V rotates. The There's the no optimal... way it can ha- Duraladon V rotates, but it's got the other one still. There's no way it can hang with Guardi. There's no. Oh, there's shot. no Marnie. There's no Marnie, which is pretty good. No for the Marnie. Deck, right? You got Judge. You do got Judge. Hey, you got Judge. <laughs> Never mind. Grand Chen back in top eight. Let's <laughs> get it. No, but yes, I think I feel about Arc like the kind of the same way I feel about Reggie's. It's like it just it just is and will continue to be. So now we can get into some of the more fringe decks. Um... Not, it feels like they're kind of been falling off a little bit to be honest like there's like less of them to talk about fringe decks i mean that's just what happens whenever yeah a meta gets long. more fleshed out but i mean we say that but then at the same time we look at knoxville results one of the larger tournaments of the year 1200 people and we see piper lapine in top eight with the palkia and we see um brandon salzar getting second with the eternatus two very fringe decks right so yeah but that's like the but there's nothing else past that for sure. I feel it. Well, there yeah, is sure. like uh, people are still playing Arceus flying Pikachu, but like, I mean, we can only count so much stuff as fringe deck. Some other stuff is just, you know, like I could show up with a theme deck, but like, or, you know, I could show up with some like random, I could play quad wheezing, but oh, that deck's not very good. Right. Like, although that, I think that deck actually has, that deck actually beats Lugia quad wheezing does. But you yeah. don't beat much else consistently, like at all. <laughs> you do like beat Lugia though, in my experience with the quad wheeze. Lugia matchup is pretty good, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, the I, I guess the Palky deck I still, I still think is good. A paralysis deck is still good. I think we've been seeing There's like the a paralysis lot more... builds of Lost Box as well. I think um, James Cox got top eight in was it in Bochum or top no, sixteen? Was it top maybe? eight? Yeah, top sixteen. Top 16. Yeah, they were on stream for the w- the winning yeah, into top yeah, sixteen. Yeah, that's what it was. So I don't know if maybe James's opponent could have made top eight, and that's why they did that matchup um but yeah that was like heavy heavy zekrom build which is interesting definitely cool the double zekrom um to try and lock up some stuff up against the lugia matchup but i don't really feel like yeah i don't feel like process is that good most lugia decks i feel like have a switch card um if you're running the skylar Irida, you can run the escape rope if not a lot of people have the bird keeper but i guess i say that but i look at the two top eight lists uh actually no there's four top eight lists hang on i gotta do some more looking at uh there's a chair and scare in this one, so that works as well. That's crazy. That's almost better. 
That's yeah. almost better. That's all, that is better. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that is the ultimate tech for the. <laughs> There's a bird keeper. One of the other ones. So I feel like bird keeper switch card Sharon Sarah is in about probably close to fifty percent of Lugia decks. I might mean, even look at the day two stats and I could pull it, but. Um, yeah, I feel like process stuff is is okay, and I think you do have to go some route, kind of like the the Articuno stuff, because you actually get to like lock multiple times. So like with the Zekrom stuff, it's a little bit weird because Zekrom only locks specifically Lugia. Otherwise, you hit too hard and you kind of KO everything else. You can't really trap anything in the active besides Lugia. Uh, but with Articuno, you know you can start to paralysis trap a Lugia. They get their switch card, and then you just go into your next Articuno, and you can still like lock up the game for another couple, three or four turns with the the jellies from there. So I feel like the stuff like the the deck that Piper played, the Palkia Articuno deck, is still pretty good. Solid. Yeah, and like if you're, you know, if your paralysis strategy fails, you have Palkia to fall back on, right? Like you still have like a really solid and efficient attacker. What are you laughing at? Someone played a wind up arm in their Lugia. <laughs> that's another way it's another way to counter the paralysis (laughs) the pokemon this card is attached to can attack even if it's asleep or paralyzed oh my gosh someone with the wind up arm we gotta find out who who was it who had the wind up arm you actually find that out yeah andrew emerson shout outs to you let's go 12th place 12th place 12th with the wind up arm had the Snorlax, like, it's in there for that, I guess, probably more so. But... Had the Green and VMAX, of course. A co- great combo with the wind-up arm. Had the <laughs> Leon. Yo, oh absolutely insane. Dude, I love it. I love it so much. And the Thorin. This yeah, guy this was, actually... This guy cooked. This yeah. Guy, cooked. <laughs> Shout-outs to Andrew. I love to see it. <laughs> this is definitely a crazy list. And then sure. one other deck we definitely should talk about... Because it got second place at Knoxville, Eternatus Wheezing. So, yeah, this build with the four Marnie, the three Judge, just really relying on disrupting plus ability locking, hoping that gets you enough time to get to a board state where you can either get ahead enough that you can start attacking with your Eternatus or maybe even just locking your opponent out of the game before they can do anything with the Wheezing. Uh, I just still feel like, I still think it has, it's kind of like the... Um... Gudra, I think you're unfavorable against Lugia. I think it has like maybe only it's like 55 45, but you're still unfavorable. And I don't, I just don't see it ever making sense to play a deck that is unfavorable against Lugia. So I'm not a fan of the, not a fan of the E turn. I mean, like I said last week, I think the deck was more so carried by Salazar than anything. Um, and we saw Salazar went up against uh, Andrew three times and ended up going one and two. So I don't, I wouldn't say that's like fully indicative Have you of watched how the, the matchup finals should yet, play though? out, but. I have not. So I'm saying like that's not fully you shouldn't only look at those games and be like, okay, this is how the finals plays out, or this is how the matchup plays out. But I will say, you know, that did happen. Um, so yeah, it feels like it is like one of those decks that is like slightly I felt like if it had a really good Lugia matchup, we would have seen a couple of them do a little bit better than they have up to this point. But then you have a great player like Salazar pick it up, and I think it is more so a player diff than a, a deck diff for sure. Why what happened in the finals? Um, I think at the end of game one, Salazar judges Hedrick into a, a dead hand, and it's like Hedrick has to boss that turn or he loses the game. Top decks boss to win. And then um in game two, I think what happened is Salazar discarded his one of his Eternatus VMAX and his other two were prized. <laughs> and he got farmed. <laughs> okay. 
Maybe so. a little bit unlucky. I mean, yeah, maybe the matchup is better than I'm giving it credit for. But my experience with the deck when I've when I've played it or played against it is just like usually Lugia just finds a gust effect before you get far enough ahead with the Weezing has been my experience. Yeah. So usually the Weezing, but quad Weezing on the other hand, you got tons of energy disruption, so you just sit there with a couple Weezes and play, and you eventually win. But yeah, because you, you usually have to bench something as the Eternatus Weezing. You can't sit there with just Weezings in play, and you have no energy disruption, so eventually Lugia is going to swing for a KO. So in my experience is like the you just find the gust card before the the wheezing gets allows the, the e-turn player to get far enough ahead and then you just go gust summoning star load a bunch of energy knock out whatever you gusted up and then kind of snowball from there so um i'm down i would love to be wrong if there if this deck consistently beats lugia that would be great i'm not saying that that would be a bad thing that would be sick because then we'd actually get like a shift in the meta of this deck becomes really popular to counter Lugia, it beats Lugia. Oh my gosh! And then all the other decks can maybe gonna the meta adapts from there. But I just don't believe it actually has a favorable Lugia. So, all right, time for some predictions. Azul, we got two tournaments this weekend: Natal and Vancouver. For the two events, we got two different top eights. Over under six point five Lugia in top eight, including both events. Sixteen total spots. Over under six point five. I'm going to go over. I think there's going to be more than that. I do plan to be one of the few players in top eight that is not playing Lugia, but I think there will be more than 6.5 between the 16 spots. I'm just telling eights. you, man, now's the time. Bust out the Lugia. You got three events left. Imagine <laughs> no. this broken deck existing, and you there's a dozen tournaments in this format, and you didn't even play Lugia for one of the four, one of the tournaments in the whole format. Yeah, but it's, it's the difference, there's a difference between like bringing like a new broken deck and just playing the same broken deck that everyone else is playing. I already had my experience with that playing Mew, and it just was like mid. Reagan went from second at OCIC to four or five four at the next tournament. I feel like that <laughs> if I play Lost Fox, I feel like that's impossible for me to not make day two. But if I play Lugia, I think it's very possible I don't make day two. Yeah, maybe fair, maybe fair. I'm gonna go with <laughs> over as well. I was kind of hoping you were gonna pick under, so we didn't have the same thing. But um, yeah, I think it's gonna be over as well. It's a warm of Lugia on the way. Good. It's too. It's de it's definitely uh, a Lugia weekend. I'm feeling it. It's a Lugia weekend for sure. <laughs> uh, we talked a bit about Vikavolt, Obviously, still got a lot of kind of hype behind it. I feel like it's maybe almost got a little bit of that Gudra syndrome, where you know Gudra was the hype deck, and then Everyone played it, and then it kind of died down. Vikavolt feels like it's got a little bit more to stand on, though, than Gudra did. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, it has a favorable Lugia matchup. <laughs> favorable is like a fine Slightly. Lugia matchup. Yeah. 52%. 52%. 52? Okay. Give okay. them the 52. <laughs> well, you need a Lugia player out there to play Azul 100 times in the matchup and see what happens. I'm down. I got another. Right. Well, I, I actually have no time to that's do that. That's a lot of games. That's a lot of like a best time. of seven. We could do like a best of seven or something. That's not 100 games. 52%. We got to do 100 games. I mean, if uh, I win like 4 0, though, I think it's a pretty. Maybe so. Maybe so. That's my 4%. Um, <laughs> best finishing Vikavolt this weekend. Is, what do you think? Uh, Between two, the two tournaments? tournaments, two top, tournaments. I think we got a top eight. I think we're cooking. Bro. Uh, I'm going to go with the top four. I'm going to go with the top four. Bro, I'm taking it to the finals, baby. No, Vikavolt. Dude, the a win deck or just... a finals? A second. A second. At least. Okay, okay. Yeah, we're gonna go with a second. I though. didn't plan on losing to it, so okay. It works. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talking about Brazil. It's okay. Brazil. So <laughs> <laughs> no, either tournament, honestly, it could definitely happen. Um, all right. Best placing lost box variants. So we've got the Kyogres, we've got the turbo box, we've got the Raikou Amazing Rare Rayquaza. 
best placing last box variant over the weekend this all what do we think i mean gotta go with ray i feel like like it just like shows its consistency throughout this whole time so i'm gonna go yeah lost ray probably will be the best placing uh lost box variants for sure i'm gonna go with the raikou build uh similar in to birth. what one in perth yeah yep. the lost dogs i guess can we just lost call it dogs. that lost dogs yeah, lost that dogs it? lost dogs yeah um yeah, I'm going to go with the Lost Dogs for sure. All right, and we talked about Mew kind of being on the downswing. On the ropes. Uh, last five tournaments. Yeah, on the ropes. Two top eights out of the last five tournaments. Does Mew VMAX make it back into top eight at one of the two events this weekend, Azul? Uh, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure Mahone is going to Vancouver. So that's <laughs> that's Is he one... doing top eight? I don't know if he, if he plays Mew again. I'm not sure, to be honest. But maybe, <laughs> and if Xander shows up again, there's like another, you know, we have two pretty good players playing Mew, so that helps it. But I think I'm going to go no. You know, I just, it's too, it's tough out there for Mew. It's tough out there for Mew. We're predicting some Vika Vault top eights as well. Yeah, zero Mew in top eight. Jeez, I'm definitely going to give Mew at least one top eight across the two events. I mean, you got to be, you got to be like stubborn to like, I mean, there is, uh, who is it? Uh, Fabrizio, who might be at yeah. the, uh natal tournament uh might be at natal in brazil um you know there there definitely is some players some very good players who are still continuing to play mew but i think it's too much i think it's become too much at this point i'm gonna go no muse in the top eights and last prediction question azul fringe deck to make day two we can't really say rogue deck i don't think there's really any opportunity for a rogue deck to pop up we're not gonna see a rotom v star come out i'm gonna of go nowhere. pretty far out for these fringe decks my my fringe deck is gonna be blissey i'm gonna go with whoa blissey. well yeah we, I'm, I'm not gonna say something like eternal wheezing there'll be an eternal wheezing in day two of vancouver probably yeah yeah it's not fringe enough no, it's not fringe enough after just getting second place. Um, I'm going to go with good old faithful Zorro Box, baby. Come on, Zorro <laughs> Box. You can do it. Day two, no problem. My other choice was Snorlax Cherum. So I think uh, <laughs> I think Zorro Box is maybe a better, safer choice. A little safer. Blissey? I don't know about Blissey. We can see That's it. That's kind of wild. It's a little wild. You're just getting a little mm. crazy on here on the podcast to close things out, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. As always, we do appreciate the support. If you did enjoy and want to continue to show that support, the best way to do it is to leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcasting platform. Takes just a second, helps us out a ton. Also be sure to subscribe over here on the YouTube channel. If you're watching or drop us a comment, a like all those good things. Any way you interact with the video or the podcast itself is just going to help us in any of the various algorithms, get more people into the game, get more people into the podcast, all those good things. Yep. yep. Appreciate the support as always. Um, good luck to anyone attending any of the, tournaments this weekend um and we'll catch y'all next week tuesday 7 a.m eastern and if you want to stay connected with us over on socials i forgot to say that <laughs> <laughs> the best way to do it is over on twitter you can follow myself at chip richie azul at azul gg at azul underscore gg, underscore GG. yeah i didn't real i didn't i was like i don't think he missed it this time around i was like i thought i heard him say, I it's just it. like i missed uh, it <laughs> And then follow the podcast. the podcast at Uncommon underscore Energy. Thanks for the support as always, guys. Did it. And we'll catch you guys next week.
Peace.